In our Gospel today, we hear about King Herod, Herodias, and John the Baptist, and this very interesting relationship which exists between King Herod and John the Baptist. John the Baptist effectively gives out to him, reproves him for taking his brother's wife. Now, obviously, we can presume that his brother is still alive. That it wouldn't be a problem if his brother had died. But if his brother is still alive and you take his wife, then that's adultery. Uh, so, so, and John the Baptist in prison, so already in a kind of a weakened state, right? Already kind of on the back foot, in prison, says to King Herod, um, you can't do that. It's against the law. And King Herod doesn't like what he says, but is fascinated by him at the same time. And that's, that's very, it's a very interesting kind of a dynamic. You know, I, I don't like what you say, but no, there's something in it like there's just, you know, and I think we've often had conversations like this when we speak to people about uh, moral issues or moral issues are probably might be these days a very, very contentious argument. But it just in general, as regards, when we approach the faith as actually having solid content as opposed to being made up by us, uh, it's not what people are used to hearing. And yet, it, I think, very, very often, if not practically always, resonates as true. You know, I've, even, I've often spoken even to, uh, to people who maybe teach religion, catechists or religion teachers, and the, the, the approach often in, in schools today is just to encourage students to have a spirituality, you know, to believe in something, right? And the idea is, you know, they have some sort of a spiritual belief, so it's going to help them and it's going to be some sort of assistance to them. But I, that's not my approach at all, nor is that really the approach of the church. Uh, because if you just make up a spirituality, that's exactly what you've done. Made it up. And a made-up God can't save you. Like a made-up spirituality, it's not real. It's just make-believe. So it's not the truth. So it doesn't transmit grace. It's just made up. Just an imaginary friend. So when we talk about how God has revealed himself and has a very, very concrete identity and has a very, very concrete plan for our lives, and has a very, very con concrete means to get us back into union with him, often catechists, maybe even teachers, listen to me and go, I don't like it, but... <laughs> but somehow, yeah, I know. <laughs> I had that just not so long ago, not so long ago, a teacher came to me and said, wow, it's, it's a while now, okay, I'll tell you what, I quote what she said. She said, it's, it's a while since I heard Aquinas mentioned in, 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 in this school. Now, it was a very simple argument from Thomas Aquinas. It wasn't a complicated one at all. But, but she said, yeah, I haven't really heard that kind of thing now in a good while. But I know, it was, it was good. You know, so I know she, she, like, she, she, she knew that's not what she teaches, but, but she saw the merit in, in, in putting the faith across as something kind of concrete as opposed to just make-believe. Okay. So in, in, this, in this battle, in this battle in which we are all engaged, every one of us, we mentioned this a couple of times, in this spiritual battle in which we are all engaged, like any battle, there are champions, there are warriors, there are weapons, there are strategies. Uh, and all of this exists also in, in the spiritual battle. So a typical tactic, strategy in any battle is divide your enemy, split them up. Right? If you can split them up, they're much easier to pick off. If you, if you have a single man out in the field running up with a rifle, there isn't a problem. Pew, gone. Okay? If you have 10,000 coming at you, nah, it's very, very different. Okay? So if you can split them up, and, you know, get a 10 here and 10 there and 10 there, again, that, that's easy enough. You'll pick them off. But if you're, if you're rushed with a massive force 
in, in one go, there's, there's just not a lot you can do. You want to get overrun, even if everyone is shooting as mad as they can. So, so it's a very typical strategy of the enemy to divide us. To divide us as a church, divide us as a family, divide us as a community, whatever it may be. Division. Uh, is, it's it's a, a very, very typical and powerful and effective uh, strategy of the enemy. So another thing is to confuse truth and lies and to kind of make either kind of mix them up or kind of make them all a bit grey or kind of make it up for grabs or whatever the majority say. And that's very much where we find ourselves today as well, where even the most basic things that uh, would have been considered true or false 10, 15, 20 years ago are now kind of all up for grabs, even as regards gender. I mean, that thing was fairly scientifically solid up until relatively recently, whereas now it's whatever your mind tells you. Like, is that the truth? Is that the truth? Or is it, is it, is it just made up? You know, is, is it actually as grey as we think it is, or is this something that we can actually scientifically prove one way or the other? So... What's interesting is then, the enemy wants to weaken each one of us. He wants to make us so powerless that in the spiritual battle, we're not a threat. So he wants to take away whatever it is that we have that makes us effective in the spiritual battle, so that then we're no threat to him whatsoever. Okay? Herodias in our gospel, she spots that John the Baptist is a threat. Because Herodias... um, she obviously wasn't the most pleasant of ladies. I don't think embroidery or flower arranging was her pastime. I think she probably just strangled kittens or something. I mean, she's not... Cru- Cruella de Vil, right? The, when you think of Herodias, think of Cruella de Vil, you know, the, the long cigarettes and the kind of... the. That, that's, that's how we should imagine her. Don't quote me on that. But, but this kind of idea. Okay, so she, she, there she is with Herod. Now, Herod, obviously, is a powerful man, rich man, brother Philip... Might not have been, I don't know. But anyway, she seems to prefer this situation anyway. She seems happy with Herod. She's got more power, more influence. And she does not want this relationship to change, even though she knows herself it's, it's, it's adulterous. She doesn't want this to change. And she's willing to kill to keep it that way. When you think about it, she's willing to kill very, very clearly, like, I want his head on a plate, you know. Like, she wants, she's willing to kill to keep this relationship that way. So whatever power she has or thinks she has, she's willing to kill to keep it. And she sees John the Baptist, this man in prison, this man who ate locusts and honey, this man who fasted and wore animal skins. She sees in him there is power. There's a spiritual power in this warrior. He has nothing externally, but spiritually there's something powerful about him. There's something that I actually even can't, I I can't silence him. In a way, he's more powerful than I am right now. He seems to have a greater influence over her than I do. He must die. So when she spots him as a threat, he must die. Take him out of the battle. And it's, just, it's such a, a, sinister, a, a sinister plan. I mean, when her daughter then dances for, for King Herod in the court, I mean, kind of ridiculous of, of King Herod to say in the first place, I'll give you half my kingdom. I'll give you anything you want, even half my kingdom if you ask for it. I mean, you could just sort of get you a, a new car, a new chariot, <clears throat> a new chariot with two horses or something. But no, I'll give you half my kingdom. It's a fairly stupid thing to, to promise. Uh, and then she goes to her mom and says, Mommy, 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 what should I ask for? Mommy, what should I ask for? And, and then, like, think of Herodias as just like that sinister grin. Ask for John the Baptist's head on the plate. Now, the w- strange thing is then the girl says, Okay. <laughs> 
as opposed to saying, mom, that's gross, that's, whoa, no. I want, can I have a bath of Nutella? Or, or you know, a holiday in Egypt? Uh, or a man's head, what good, what good is that to me? What am I gonna do with it, like? You know, so, but she, she does, so obviously not the most noble of daughters either. Asks for it and gets John the Baptist's head and brings it back to her mummy and just presents it. There it is. Imagine that, like a decapitated head. Like, it's not exactly pleasant. Most girls would be grossed out by that kind of thing. But no, hands it back to her mom as if it's no problem at all. So there's something, there's, there is something really sinister in all of this. And this is the way, again, typically, very typical in the, in the spiritual battle. <clears throat> John the Baptist prepares the way for the Lord by his preaching, by his teaching, and by his death. The Lord prepares the way for us for heaven by his preaching, by his teaching, by scripture, and by his death. So it's so divine that these strategies of the enemy end up serving God. When he thinks he has won, when he thinks he has, us, when he has killed us, when he thinks he has removed us from the battle like that by ending our lives, we've actually ended up, we've served God anyway. So what we do have to be aware of is that he doesn't remove us from the battle by making us powerless, in the sense that he doesn't, shouldn't remove us from the battle by stopping us from praying. He shouldn't remove us from the battle by discouragement. He shouldn't remove us from the battle by just materialism and temptations that link us just too much to this earth. Temptations that, that have us set our sights on on things that pass. He shouldn't remove us from the battle so easily by those kind of things. If he removes us from the battle by illness or even by, even by death, those things can serve God. So he hasn't won. But if he removes us from the battle by drawing us from virtue to vice, then, then maybe he has won. So this is the battle. The battle isn't what it seems on the outside. So that way someone who's hospitalized and bedridden and offering up every single day, every single minute of their suffering. Externally, the, the enemy thinks he's won. Look how weak that person is. Internally or in reality, in a spiritual reality, they could be holding off who knows how many demonic forces from a town, a country, or a city because of their unity with the Lord. So it's not what it seems on the outside. Even power. Look, look at who, who was really powerful in, these, in, this, in this gospel story today. Who, who actually had the power? John. John gave his life for love of the Lord and prepared the way for him and is now a martyr in heaven. So who won? Herodias. Everyone hears Herodias' name these days and almost spits. So who won? So we set our, we set our hearts on the higher things. Things that come from our maker in heaven. And the greatest of, of all of these things that we set our hearts on is love. And so we ask the good Lord today, in our own spiritual battle, that we might be aware of the enemy's strategies to divide us, the enemy's strategies to make us think that prayer is weak, that sacrifice is weak, that, that service is weak, uh, that humility is weak, all of these things, which are actually pure power. We ask him to open our eyes to recognize the gifts the, 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 the weapons available to us in the spiritual battle and that we might fight bravely alongside him. Amen.